If you have your Bibles, you electronic, electronic devices, you can click to turn to Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 23. It's where we're going to be today. We're in this series called Love in Action. I just got to tell you that we, we've been walking through the Gospels. We've been looking at the life of Jesus. When Jesus has been giving us an examples and helping us understand how to live out our faith, what it's looked like to show love in action. And so we're coming to a section. In fact, is this section, this section, well, I'll, I'll get into that later. But the section is titled, My Motives. Jesus begins dealing with our motives. And listen, I'm telling you, I struggle with this text. I wrote this sermon. I rewrote this sermon. I wrote this sermon. I rewrote this sermon. I, I wrote this sermon last night as I preached it. I made some notes. And I'm telling you, this text deals with something that is core within all of us that Jesus begins talking about. So Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 23 is a text. And so while you're clicking there, turning there, if not, the words are going to come up on the screen as I read them in a few moments. Let me tell you a story. There's a story about two young adults. And two young adults were involved in a fender bender. And at first, they were angry at one another. Each one accused the other one of being at fault, but finally calmer heads prevailed, and they decided to call the police and let the authorities settle the matter. As they waited for the police to arrive, they got involved in a conversation. They discovered that, they, that, that both of them were single, and they had a lot in common. The chemistry began to flow between the two of them, and, they fi and finally the young woman said, you know, maybe it's God's will that we had this accident that we would be able to meet one another. And the young man was really attracted to the, the woman, and he says, okay. The, one, the young woman said to him, well, it's silly for us to stand out here in the cold. Let's go sit in my car where we will be a little warmer. The young man agreed, and as they sat talking in the car, the young woman looked at him and said, you know what? I just, I just happened to be at the store, and I bought a bottle of wine, and I have some paper cuts, cups. How about if we have a toast to this chance meeting. The young man thought that he was, that this was a good idea, that they made their, and, and so they made their toast, and he gulped down his wine, and then he looked at her and said, well, aren't you going to drink yours? And she says, I think I'll wait for the police to arrive. <laughs> Sometimes it's not easy to determine motives, right? Sometimes in life it is not easy to determine motives. And listen, we're in this section where Jesus wants to, wants to be Lord of your motives. He wants to talk to talk about not just the externals, but the internals. And, and so there, there may be some questions that we should ask as we start this. And, and so some of the questions is, what is, what is your motive, motive for following God? I mean, why do you follow God? For blessing or for Him? For what you get out of it or for what you're able to give? Is it just purely your relationship to Him? What, why are you kind to people? Is it to help them or manipulate them? Why are you kind to your spouse? Is it because you want something in return to manipulate them or because you honestly want to serve them? Why are you kind to people? Why are you kind to those around you? To help or to man manipulate? Why do you praise God? Because you genuinely love Him? Because things are going your way because of the feelings you get? See, the Bible teaches, and this is what makes this text so difficult to discern and to walk through. The Bible teaches that it's not just enough to do the right thing. We're to do the right thing, but we're to do the right thing with the right motives. And listen, I'm telling you, and I'm going to share some stories, and we're going to, we'll keep it real this morning, uh, but I, I just want you to know this is a very complex subject. It's a very complex subject because if we're honest with one another and we're honest with ourselves, motives aren't always easy to discern. 
like that young man with the woman. Motives aren't always easy to discern, and so we, we, we need to try because the Bible tells us that God doesn't just look on the outward, but he looks on the inward. A lot of times as Christians, as, as believers, we are more comfortable talking about the externals, talking about the believers, uh, behaviors. When Christians get nervous, when you begin talking about the inner life, when you've been talking about the interior life, when you begin talking about this issue of the heart, but see the Bible, the Bible tells us that God doesn't just look at the externals. God looks at the internals. He doesn't just look at the outer life. He looks at the inner life. I mean, the fact is in, in the New Testament, one of the writers in the New Testament, the fact is it was Paul that said that if you praise him with your lips and your heart is far away from him, you're a hypocrite and you're praising him in vain. The Bible teaches over and over and over that God connects the inner life with the outer life. That God connects the heart with our actions. And listen, the scripture says that you were created for greatness. You were created for a oneness with God. You were created for a communion with God. You were created for a relationship with him. And when you come into a relationship with him, that the Holy Spirit comes into your life and permeates your life to the extent that your heart would be pure and your motives would align with your actions. In other words, you were created for an inner life with God. It starts with the interior, and it works its way out. But listen, if we're honest, working on the inner life is hard. Working on the inner life, soul care, some people may refer to it as that. That is some hard work in the Christian life. And I have learned, and the Scripture teaches, that our character, our inner life matures. Not in good times, but in the desert. In the crisis of life, there's something that happens that in the crisis of life, in the desert, when things don't turn out the way you plan, that all of a sudden it exposes our motives. See, a lot of times our motives are not exposed just in preaching or hearing a sermon. Our, expose, our motives are exposed in life. Our motives are exposed in the situation. See, crisis in the desert times of life can reveal our true motives. It's easy to say in church, right? And it's easy to say around your Christian friends that I love your neighbor as yourself, pray for your enemies, bless them until you have to do it. Until someone disagrees with you. Until someone treats you wrongly. Until you actually have to put that in action. See, motives, I'm telling you, motives are not revealed in good times. Motives are revealed in difficult times. Motives are revealed in your life and my life when things aren't going your way. When you do an action and you don't get the return, the results that you expected to get. And all of a sudden, you've got to deal with those issues of motives. See, Jesus begins dealing with this. He deals with this in, with, the, with, with, the, with the Pharisees. The Pharisees question his motives first. And then Jesus comes back and begins to question their motives. And there is so much to learn in this text, and we only have a few minutes to get this in. And, and so I just want to help you this morning. I want to help you to come to, to understand the importance of aligning to the best we can motives with action the first thing is this the highest motive what scripture says the highest motive for doing anything is that we love God so that's the goal that we all obtain to that's called Christian maturity that's where we want to get the highest motive listen the highest motive for doing anything is simply because we love God Jesus talked about this over and over Jesus said the greatest commandment at all is that we would love God with all of our heart our soul our mind and our strength and then he said the second the second highest motive is that we genuinely care for one another. Jesus said the second greatest commandment 
which is you come to the place where you love your neighbor as yourself. And now these are two of the highest motives. But they're not the only motives for doing what is right. And Jesus, and Jesus, Jesus wants to be not only the Lord of your action, but the Lord of your motives. And look at Jeremiah 17, 10. It says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And now all of a sudden you see even in the Old Testament, God connected the inner life with the outer life. God connected motives with, with action. A person with a, with a wrong motive doing the right thing, what scriptures would say, would be a deceiver. That may be the young woman that we used in the story. And if this person is consistently deceptive, then Jesus would say, you know what, that's a hypocrite. And now we, we all have to admit, just to keep it real, that a lot of times we do things with mixed motives. Even as I was writing this sermon, and then last night as I was preaching this sermon, I really want God to use me. I really want to take God's word and open it up and preach his pure word for him. And I want, I want people to come to Christ and I want people to grow in him and I want people to make the appropriate changes in, in their life. And I, I, and I even want to preach the hard stuff, even when it's not popular. But I have to confess to you, even in saying that, even in doing that, there's another motive that starts trying to wedge its way into my life. I want you to like me. I don't want you to be mad at me. I want you to think I'm a good speaker, a, great, a good preacher. I want you to laugh at my jokes. You know what? I don't want you to think, you know, all those other things. And if, if I'm honest, if I'm honest, I want you to like me. And if you're not careful, listen, we do things with mixed motives, right? And there's a motive that sometimes tries to wedge its way in there. And it takes constant attention and awareness that, you know what? That motive is working. That motive is a part of that. So the first thing is this. The goal would be the only reason we do anything is because our love for him and we want to please him. But the second thing is equally true, and it says this. Our goal to mature, our goal is to mature so our motives align with our actions. Our motives align with our actions. Listen, when I started out preaching, I mean, it, those motives worked their way even deeper into my life. And, and now they're manageable. Now I understand it. Now I understand what's working. But in, in, and then you look at life and you realize we're in the midst of a lot of confusion right now, right? And not just COVID. I mean, I've told you we're in a perfect storm. We got a highly volatile election year. We got a global recession. We got a global pandemic. And we got all these emotions that are raging as a result of that to where it seems like people are harsh and judgmental and all those other things. But at the same time, life goes on. People still get brain tumors. People are still diagnosed with cancer. People are still going through treatment. People are still losing loved ones. People are still having marital problems and financial problems and going on furloughs and job loss and, and downturn in economies and finances and, and mountain bikes are still getting stolen. <laughs> I'm still not over that. I am not over that. It's going to be 2021, 2022 before I ever get another one. I... Anyway, we need to move on, right? And so you can, go in, you can go in these seasons, and God can seem so distant. I mean, external events are, are hurting families, hurting relationships, suffering and evil. Listen, crisis 
Crisis reveals motives. Life reveals motives. When I preach that message, and I'm wanting to please God, but I'm also wanting people to like me, and I get that email, I get that response. It exposes a motive, the way I respond to that, that is the same thing in life. The biggest thing that I've learned that happens in suffering is you, if you're going to walk through suffering properly is to where you're no longer following God because of the good feelings. You're following God for him. You're actually following him for him. It helps purify your motives. It helps you understand, why am I following him? Because everything's going my way? Because he's blessing me? Because I'm getting everything I want? Or am I actually following him? See, what happens a lot of times in suffering, if you walk through suffering all the way, it purifies motives. To where all of a sudden you're no longer attached from the thing, from, to the things that you get from him. You're actually attached to him. Crisis is the furnace. I believe that God uses to pull you from following him for what you can get out of it, following him for blessing. So that you know when you go through the fire, you will not be burned. When you go through the waters, the waters will not overwhelm you. You know why? Because he's with you. You can trust him in the fire. You can trust him in the water. Just the same as you can trust him in good times. That's just the intro to this text. This text is so important for us to get and to understand. And so verse, verse, Luke chapter 11, verse 14, let's just walk through it. Now he, Jesus, was casting out a demon that was mute. So he's doing something good. Don't miss that. He's good action. And, and, and he has good motives. I don't, I don't want you to question that. And so, but watch this. He said, now he, Jesus, was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. So the people are like, this is, this is a great thing. I mean, the people are am amazed. But the Pharisees get upset. The Pharisees get angry. And they start questioning Jesus. You know what they do? They question his motives. Isn't it a horrible thing when someone questions your motives? I know what you're thinking. I know what, when you said that, I, know, I, 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 knew, I knew exactly what you were thinking. Can I just tell you, just the most destructive thing you can do in relationships is believe you can read somebody else's mind. The Bible would say that's close to fortune-telling and sorcery. That you can come to the place that you, I know, I know what you're thinking. When you did that, I know, I know exactly your motive. Sometimes motives are even confusing for us to discern. So the Pharisees, they begin questioning Jesus' motives. And you may have heard this pronounced depending on the, the different translation. Beelzebul is the way that, 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 that uh, the ESV renders the pronunciation of that word. It's the prince of demons. It was basically calling Satan, that, it's calling Jesus, that he was following the prince of demons. And so verse 17 through 22 but he, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to him, them, Every kingdom is divided against itself is laid waste, and divided, a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do you cast your son? And by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, 
they will be your judges. So Warren Wiersbe, a commentator, says basically that Jesus destroyed their arguments with three different ways. And first, he said, your accusation is just totally illogical. If Satan cast out Satan, if, 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 if Satan cast out Satan or cancels out Satan, then there wouldn't be any Satan anymore. That's illogical. Then he says, you know what? Your, your charges are self-incriminating. You're, you, you've incriminated yourself. I mean, by just saying that, because verse 8, 19, he says, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do you cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus just reasoned, well, you know, this is kind of hypocritical and you've incriminated yourself because you know what? When your people cast out demons, you cheer them on. But when I do it, you say, I'm, I did it through the prince of Satan. And the last thing he says, you know, it's really an admission of, of power. In verse 37, so while Jesus is making this argument, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee interrupted him and said, we got to kill this argument. You know, we, we're, we're like losing this whole deal here. And so a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went and he reclined uh, at the table. And so now we know, as you read this text, this Pharisee did not have a pure motive. His motive was not to enter into a relationship with him. His motive was not to learn from him and let Jesus teach him. His motive was to trap Jesus. So we know that his motive was impure. And so verse 38, so the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not, Jesus did not wash before dinner. Now this wasn't like soap and water. This wasn't like some hygiene thing. This was a ritual cleansing that the Pharisees came up with that was all external. It was something that religious and spiritual that they did, and they did it before a meal so everybody could see. See, the Pharisees believed. See, the Pharisees, they didn't like talking about the inner life. They didn't like talking about below-the-surface stuff. They didn't like talking about the heart. For them, the Pharisees, righteousness was only action. Righteousness was just external. It didn't matter what was going on in your life with the greed or whatever. It, it just didn't matter. And so they, they minimized motive, minimized heart. They minimized the internal. Verse 39, and the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup. So Jesus addresses it of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Now listen, the closest I can come of like pulling an illustration out of my life for this is, is we're in Africa in Mimbezi where our mission is. And so there was a day that we got invited. The tribal chief wanted to stop by and have lunch with us. And, and normally for lunch, I get to fix my plate. And so I get to tell if my plate's dirty or clean. And listen, it is not that I'm a germaphobe, but I, I do have a level of cleanliness that I'd like to live by. And so, uh, and so the, the Mimbezi ladies, the, the African ladies there, they brought us our plates. And they, they already put our food, the sudza and the, the chicken was already on our plate. And I couldn't tell if my plate was clean or not. I mean, I could tell the outside of the plate was clean. I didn't care about the outside. I cared about what my food was on, right? I cared about the inside. So you know what I did with the tribal chief? I just kind of pushed my food around with the sudza, and I would only eat the food that, that in my mind never touched the plate. It didn't matter to me that the outside was clean. It mattered to me that the inside was clean. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, listen, guys. You don't care about the inside. You only care about the outside, but there's some stuff raging in the inside. And then he goes on, verse 42, but what are you Pharisees? For you tie mint and rue and, and every herb and, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So, 
So all of a sudden, Jesus says, you know, way to go, guys. You, you tithe. I mean, if you've needed a New Testament verse for tithing, this is it. He says, way to go. I commend you for tithing. I, I commend you for giving 10% of your income. But you should do that without neglecting the other. It shouldn't be just some religious thing that you do. You should do that without neglecting the other. I mean, the reason that you're giving, you want everybody to see that you're generous. You want every, I mean, you go around telling people. And I never will forget, and I, ha I have a good friend that's an African-American pastor. He pastors an African-American church. Fifteen years ago, I got invited, invited me to come preach at his church. And they have a totally different culture and, than, than us, of course, and things. And, and so the pastors, we sit on the, the, the platform, and, and that was totally awkward to me where everybody watches you, and I didn't like that. And, and so then when the offering came, my pastor friend, they all stood up, so I stood up with them, and we walked off the platform, and we stood in front of the people and behind a, a table. The table was in front of us, the Lord's Supper table. And then the ladies got up, and they had white gloves, and they brought the offering baskets. They put the offering baskets out. And then people came by and gave, and the pastors actually watched what people gave. And I'm look like counting, you know, counting ceiling tile. I'm doing every, I mean, I'm totally awkward with this whole thing. And then the pastors would, like, compliment people about how much they gave. I mean, they were acknowledging it. And so it was just awkward to me. Well, that ended. We went and sat back down. And all of a sudden, the counter guy came back out a few minutes later, whispered something to my friend. My friend looked over at me and said, we've got to do it again. We didn't get enough money. And so he stands up, and he says, uh, brothers and sisters, we need to do this again. We didn't. I'm like, huh, I now know how to take up an offering. And so uh, you do it several times. And so we went down there again. This time, I'm starting to feel guilty. Now, I'm a tither. I, I was tithing way before I ever became a pastor. I'm a tither. But now I'm feeling guilty. And so I decided, you know what, i got to give something. I'm standing in front of all these people. So I get out my wallet, and I only had a 20. I mean, I would have given a dollar if I had a dollar because I'm a tither. I was just feeling guilty. And so I put, a, I put the 20 in the basket, and my friend turns to me, starts laughing. He says, you only did that because you feel guilty. You didn't have to give. This is what Jesus is talking about. Jesus was talking, you know what, you guys are doing this just to be seen. And then he goes on, he goes, woe to you Pharisees. For you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. We have no idea. We have no idea what that means. Here's a picture. This, we were in, it seems like 10 years ago, but it was just like eight months ago we were in Africa, right before COVID. I'm sorry, Israel. We were in Israel. And here's a church. This is in Capernaum. Uh, this is where Jesus walked into the temple and made the I am statements. This is a huge thing. Luke chapter 7. This is where the, the centurion, uh, the ruler of the synagogue, he actually built this. And you can actually walk in. And so this picture is taken like from the front of the church out. So where that couple is like the lady in the white or light blue shirt, she's going out. So that would be the front door. So the people would come in. And so they come in there. The priest or the rabbi would, would be to, to like to our left, and you can't really see that area. There would be a chest where the Torah was, respect to the law. Uh, he would face the people. The rabbi faces the people. You know where the people face? They face the Torah, the law, and then they face Jerusalem. Face Jerusalem in obedience. Except for the centurion guy, he messed up the design. That church doesn't even face, it doesn't even face Jerusalem. It's kind of funny. Uh, and so anyway, uh, you don't care about that. And so the people would sit. You know where the Pharisees sat? They came in late, and you see these, see these high benches, see these people sitting to your, on the right hand? You see where they're sitting? That's where they sat. 
You know where they faced? Not the Torah, not the rabbi, not the word. They faced the people. They wanted to be seen. And they walked in with their low flo- long flowing robes and, and, and their dress. And, and these places were saved for them for honor. And this is what Jesus is saying. You, only reason, only reason you're going to church, only reason you're doing anything religious is to be seen. And then he goes on. You can take that picture down. And, and then he goes on and begins to help them understand that God sees the heart and knows the motive. But he's more concerned about our character. Then he goes on and says, woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves. And people walk over them without knowing it. In this section of Scripture, if you read the Scripture, you realize that Jesus used the word hypocrite about 20 different times, talking about defining the motives of these religious leaders. I want to give you three steps, or I want to give you these steps to make Jesus Lord of your motives, and then we'll pray and we'll close. On Thursday, Karen and I, we, we hiked a pretty aggressive trail. It was, it was like moderate to hard, and, and, and it was an interesting thing about that trail. When we got up to the hard part of the trail, when we got up near the summit, where it's like all rock, and you got to step over rocks, you got to crawl over rock, here's the interesting thing about that. All of a sudden, you saw guideposts. You saw markers uh, that would say this way, arrows, so you didn't get off the trail and like fall off or something like that. If you life journal with us, you know we've been life journaling through Jeremiah. And Jeremiah just said that when, when, the city, when the country is in desolation, when the country is in chaos, that you need guideposts. You need mile markers. When you go through crisis, when things are like good on the trail going up, no need, no need for guideposts a lot of times because the trail's pretty obvious. When you go through suffering, when you go through crisis, that's when guideposts are needed. What are the guideposts in your life that keeps you a follower, that keeps you following him? So just a few things. One is, first thing you got to do, you got to examine your motives. Why do you do what you do? Why are you kind to the people around you? Why are you kind to a spouse? Why are you kind to a friend? Why are you kind to a child? So you can manipulate them, control them. So you get something back from them. I mean, Jesus in, 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 in the gospel started continually talked about this issue of purify yourself. Can I just tell you, this, this became really real for me in quarantine. When we went into quarantine, and I'm in this empty room with a cold camera, no people, it's just me and a couple of people. I'm preaching into the camera, it's hard, it's plastic and glass, it's cold. Never laughed at one of my jokes, never responded to Christ, never accepted Christ. We never bat, it was just unresponsive. Do you know what I had to start dealing with? Charlie, why do you preach? Are you preaching for an audience of one? Are you preaching for full rooms? Are you preaching for laughs? Are you preaching for responses? What what are you preaching for? See, every one of us sometimes have to deal with this issue. Why, Why do you follow Christ? For blessing or for him? Why do you worship? Do you worship him only when things are going your way or when you get that cancer diagnosis, when that loved one dies, when you go on furlough, when COVID hits? When the economy drops and tanks, do you still stand in the midst of the worship center and worship him? Because you are not worship him for anything but just him. Why do you serve? Do you serve so people can see you serve? 
Are you serving because of what he's called you to do? It's kind of painful sometimes for honest to look at motives, to examine motives, and see where you're wrong. But you know what else it does for us? It helps us to, it helps us to determine and see how much we need grace and how much we need forgiveness, how much we need just the blood of Christ that covers our sins. Part of spiritual maturity is coming to that place to where your motives align with your actions. That's just spiritual maturity. And then determined to be authentic would be another like guidepost. 2 Corinthians 2.17, for we are not like, like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak Christ. Our goal, our service can be performed with excellence in the highest motivation. But we have to determine to be authentic. I pray all the time, God, God, don't let me go around everywhere saying, God bless you all the time just because that's what pastor's supposed to say. God, never allow me to say I'll pray for you if I'm not going to pray for them. Just determine to be authentic. When that person comes up to me and says, hey, thank, thank you for your prayers. My grandmother is doing well. Be authentic enough to say, you know what, I'm glad your grandmother's doing better. But i got to be honest with you, I forgot to pray for her. Learn to be just authentic in who you are. I mean, Luke chapter 12, verse 1 and 3, it says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not will, will be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Jesus says a day is coming when all motives will be exposed. All motives will be exposed. The other thing, a guidepost, do the right thing regardless. Sometimes we can start examining our motives and we can get discouraged and just quit. My motives are never exactly right. We can say, we can say, you know what, my motives are never exactly right. I might as well just give up. But one of the ways to prove your love is not sit around and wait for perfect, pure motives, but keep doing the right thing regardless. Doing the right thing with less than ideal motives is way better than wrong action. The right action with wrong motive is many times better than no action. Man, do the right thing regardless. Even when you're mad at your spouse. Just do the right thing. Regardless. It gives a greater chance of reconciliation. Wrong action would only comp compound the problem. The last thing is this, is just purify your heart. Luke eleven thirty four and 36 says, Your eye is the lamp of, the, of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. When, when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part of dark, it will be wholly bright. When a lamp with it rays gives you light. Jesus was just simply this, saying this, your, your, your physical body is made up of the food that you take in with your mouth. And your heart, your spiritual body, 
is made up of what you let penetrate through your eyes. And if you feed your mind and your heart on the corruption of this world, it's going to darken your motives. Saturate your heart. Saturate your eyes with the things of Christ so the light of Christ will shine through you. That's why the reading of a scripture, that's why life journaling is so important. For you're taking in that light so it may permeate through your life. Would you bow your heads with me and just close your eyes and let me just simply ask you, what is God saying to you as a result of this message? More importantly, what is your next response? Every one of us has a, has a next step. What is your next step? What is God asking you to do? You just examine your motives, why you do why you, what you do, and walk in an area to where you align your motives with your actions. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love and your grace, and Father, we just thank you that as we grow in Christ and as we mature in you, that our motives would align with our actions. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you just stand with me, please, just the reading of our benediction. And I'd just like to pray this over you. Because of COVID, we can't do a prayer response and pray for you individually. Several different ways you can get your prayer request to us, and we'd love to pray for you. But would you just please receive the word of the Lord over you this week. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time now and forever and ever Amen God bless you may you have a great week